If you've ever been through a major betrayal, you'll know that it can leave you on edge and sensitive to the tiniest threats or even just perceptions of threats. Well, science is catching up with reality on this issue, and today we're going to look at post-infidelity stress disorder. If you've been through an affair or a betrayal of some sort, including discovering your spouse's porn habit, then you may find this episode to be particularly helpful. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is designed to help busy couples like yourselves move away from conflict and unhappiness to build a marriage you'll love today and treasure for a lifetime. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Learn how you can help save marriages, prevent divorces, and keep families intact by going to oyf.support. Once again, that website is oyf.support. And now, here are your hosts, Caleb and Valinda Simone Gundel from Only You Forever. Welcome to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. If you want to build a thriving, passionate marriage, we've got the research, the truth, and the answers you're looking for. We have a very informative podcast for you this week. This is episode number 126, and today we're going to be talking about something many wives experience following the disclosure of infidelity or betrayal, which is basically like PTSD, but with a twist. Mm -hmm. Hey there, before we get started, if you missed last week's episode, we had our final episode in a series of three on the subject of abusive marriages. If that's your situation or the situation of someone you know and care for, You definitely want to start at episode 123 and listen through Mm -hmm. all three of them. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any upcoming shows from us. If you're struggling with your marriage after infidelity, then today's sound research-based advice should bring you hope. That's our goal for you. That's our goal for you as you listen to this. So let's jump in here. Berlin, to get into the topic of post-infidelity stress disorder. P-I-S-D. So there's a guy called Dennis Ortman who literally wrote the book on this in 2005. Mm -hmm. It's Other than his work, it's not actually a well-researched subject area since it is relatively new in terms of people talking about it. Okay. However, this it's definitely something I've observed. It's very real. And so as Ortman was working with his clients who had experienced infidelity within their marriage, he noticed that many of them showed similar patterns of stress in how they were responding, like similar to each other and how they were responding after betrayals. Now, I don't have the reference on this handy, Verlinda, but I remember when I was studying for my master's in the late 2000s, I came across one article that pointed out that... late 2000s? Like 2,999? Oh, I see. Good point. Uh Uh-huh. Like 2006 to Mm 9. Does that work? Anyways, I remembered that I came across this one article that pointed out that 60% of wives who were sexually betrayed showed all but one of the symptoms of PTSD. And Ortman noticed that these spouses he was working with also mirrored the criteria for post-traumatic stress disorder. Okay. But, you know, it's worth noting that one of the diagnostic criteria for PTSD is that you have to have witnessed severe bodily harm or death. You have to have seen someone die or, or get severely injured or come close to that yourself. Mm -hmm. And of course, that doesn't apply in this situation, but the deep impact, but he was seeing all of the other criteria that they were all being met as well. Yeah. So in PISD, there's no life-threatening event, but the deep impact of the betrayal leads to similar symptoms, including experiences of intense fear, helplessness, or horror. So individuals who have experienced infidelity become overwhelmed by feelings of fear or helplessness and horror when they remember the affair. And they live with this constant feeling of helplessness and a fear that it's going to happen again. Another thing that's... So this is something that's ongoing. Yeah. These, okay. And what happens is in the marriage is, is, you know, the betrayer may sincerely be like, you know what, that happened once. Like, why are you not over this yet? Because oh. they may be fully recommitted to the marriage in all sincerity. Mm-hmm. And then this really doesn't go well, right? But what they don't realize <sighs> yeah. is that this other force has come into play, this PISD. Oh, okay. 
There's also can be the re-experiencing of the event. So victims of infidelity relive the horror of the event and all the overwhelming feelings, sometimes even years later, just like a war veteran might duck at the sound of gunfire or have uh, flashbacks of traumatic moments that happened long ago during war. So victims of adultery can relive the painful discovery of the infidelity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There can be avoidance of reminders of the event. So they, you know, you try really hard to forget about that, to put that behind you. And then you end up avoiding a lot of thoughts, feelings, and conversations associated with the trauma. There can be emotional... So it's like stuffing it or... Yeah. Pressing it down. Just stay away from anything that reminds you. But this can begin to affect your ability to function, right? Oh, okay. Depending on the context and how the betrayal occurred. Mm -hmm. Emotional numbing is another thing that happens. You get so overwhelmed with your feelings of anxiety or rage or your helplessness as a result of the betrayal that you attempt to cope by withdrawing into like this emotional cocoon. You detach from life and even from yourself to try to survive the emotional storm. Like it's just so Mm -hmm. intense. You're trying to self-preserve, right? Mm -hmm. And that comes across as numbing. Heightened anxiety is another one. Like you're on, like you're hypervigilant. You're watching for this to re-happening and you're looking at your spouse for the signs. Okay. And then there's irritability and rage. So you can become preoccupied with how you've been victimized, which constantly makes you angry with the perpetrator, with life, with yourself, because you're stuck in this, right? And then you blame yourself for allowing the trauma to occur. And so you can you can end up in this cycle of irritability and having temper outbursts. Hmm. So these are the the symptoms that are similar to the PTSD. Is they that are. what these are that you just yeah. talked about? Okay. They're common, quite similar between them, I would say. Okay. Now you might be wondering like why does discovery an affair of an affair cause such a strong reaction? And the main reason I see for this is that An affair or a betrayal of this magnitude is a huge blow to the marriage bond, right? Mm -hmm. So discovering an affair or discovering a porn or sex addiction is a betrayal of trust. And trust is fundamental. It's a fundamental component for required for a marriage to be able to flourish. So think about it. If you had everything going great in your marriage except for trust, how great would your marriage be? Hmm. Right? So it just shows you what a key ingredient that is. Or even if you had someone you wanted to be friends with and you had everything in common with this person and you just got along perfectly with this person, but you knew you couldn't trust them at all, how far would your relationship develop before you decide it's just not worth it? It's like, well, it's not gonna, right? Right. Or it's like a shallower, superficial kind of... Yeah. And you know there could be more, but you're not going there. Mm -hmm. So that just shows how important trust is. Now, infidelity destroys trust. That's the connection, right? Okay. I disagree a little bit with what Orman says here, but he says that an affair is often experienced as a fatal psychic wound or a death blow to the relationship. And I guess I agree if he's saying that is often how it is experienced, but I'd like to more frame it as a potentially lethal blow. So I'm not undermining the severity of it, but I'm, I think if we call it a death blow, then we're saying if this happens, your marriage is going to, going to end, right? And I'm about trying to save marriages. So that's just not a fit for my values on that. So I do, what? But don't you say that it's up to the betrayed spouse? Yes. Like it's their decision. As to whether it is going to be a fatal blow or not. And I would refrain from judging someone on that because until you've sat in their shoes, gone through the experience and experienced that profound betrayal, like who are you to say whether they've made a right or a wrong decision Mm -hmm. about continuing it, right? Mm -hmm. So what I'm trying to say is my bias is towards saving the marriages, but I don't want to undermine the severity of what's going on here because okay. in our marriages, we all make certain assumptions like my spouse is trustworthy. Yeah. My relationship is safe. We are in control of the course of our relationship or an affair then is, is not just a big fight. 
a big disagreement. No, no. It's a violation of the basic assumptions of marriage. Here's a quote. The violation of basic relational assumptions such as trust and predictability means that the injured person often experiences the shattering of core beliefs essential to emotional security in his or her relationship. Okay. That was pretty complicated. Well, just grab that phrase, the shattering of core beliefs. That's what's happening in the betrayed spouse. Okay. To their security. Yeah. That's why betrayal is traumatic. It strikes us at our core. And that's why so many people who discover infidelity end up experiencing some or all of these PISD symptoms. Okay. Okay? Now, if you're listening and you're on the betrayer side of the relationship, we have a guide available to our supporters that shows you how you can help your spouse heal from the trauma because you do play a role in this recovery too. And it includes a number of vital points that you need to follow so that you don't inadvertently undermine your betrayed spouse's recovery. You can get this by becoming a patron of the Marriage Podcast for Smart People, and we'll just take a quick 60-second break to tell you more about that. What happens when the fairy tale marriage meets reality? Too often, high expectations lead to disappointment, communication breaks down, and the struggles of day-to-day life become overwhelming, leaving you feeling lost and without hope. Unfortunately, marriage does not come with an instruction manual. Marriage troubles are deeply personal and can take a toll on you, your spouse, and your family. Counseling can be expensive and divorce is very costly. It doesn't have to be this way. Caleb and Valinda understand your pain and frustration. Their mission is to help save as many marriages as possible. And to date, thousands of couples are helped through their weekly podcast. But the most important marriage they want to help save is yours. With a minimum of a $10 investment a month, you gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Learn more about saving marriages and how you can help at OYF.support. That's OYF.support. You're listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People. Before the break, we were talking about why discovery of an affair causes such a strong reaction. Now, I want to switch for Linda to talking about treatment options for PISD. Okay. Post-infidelity stress disorder. Okay. One thing that is good is that since PISD is so similar to PTSD, we therapists can take lessons that we've learned from trauma treatment on PTSD and bring those over. Mm Mm-hmm. So in a study, Gordon, by Gordon and a number of others, they saw healing from infidelity as analogous. Did I say that right? Analogous? I have no... You're asking me if you said a word right? Seriously? I don't know. I'm going to roll with it. Analogos. <laughs> We're going to fake it till we make it here. Okay. okay. As analogous to recovery from interpersonal trauma. So I, I'm just saying that these researchers say, hey, this recovery pathway looks very similar to the recovery from trauma. Mm, okay. And so they look at how the trauma of infidelity violated assumptions that the wounded spouse had about the world. Because this is, remember, things get broken when this comes down, right? Okay. We have assumptions that we're making. Yes. When we get wounded, those are broken. Right. Okay. okay. So the first thing that we need to look at is to look at these assumptions about yourself and about the world around you, because this is part of what gets impacted very deeply. Like to see if they're real, realistic or... Just, I'm mentioning these things so that folks can find things to relate to. Okay. Right. And of course, as I'm doing this, remember that the podcast is only a self-help tool. It's not meant to replace individual counseling. I can help you with the individual counseling if you reach out to me, but I also need to make the disclaimer that this is not... When I say that, that this is not an attempt to solicit clients from jurisdictions where I do not have the legal ability to practice. Mm-hmm. All right, fine print over. <laughs> Counselors can help individuals go back to the traumatic event for Linda and examine how their experience of the infidelity changed their perception of themselves, of other people, and of the world in general. So okay, what happens yeah. here is because these traumatic events 
is because of these traumatic events, you may conclude that the world is not a safe place and you'll never trust again. And I can see why you would make that conclusion. But the thing is, as a spouse, this is going to leave you incredibly isolated because by default, this means that you will never have a meaningful relationship with anyone ever again. Mm. Because that's pretty lonely. You've learned it. Yeah, you've learned in this that the world's not a safe place. It's very lonely. Uh, okay. But through this counseling process, those who've been hurt by infidelity can examine their beliefs to determine if they need to be changed or restructured. Like, if their you, beliefs do. If their beliefs do. Do okay. you want to carry that belief or not? And so they can, what the goal is to, is to come out of counseling with a more accurate view of the world. Okay. Going back to the example I just gave. So it might mean you would acknowledge that you've experienced an incredible betrayal, but you also choose to believe that you will not see all relationships this way. You won't let that define all relationships. That one event. Yeah. Even though it was so colossal, so big for you, right? Okay. And you choose to believe that you can develop the skills so that a wiser version of yourself can accurately assess the trustworthiness of your most important mm-hmm. relationships, right? So now so we have... trusting yourself rather than just writing off all relationships. Right. This is a much more adaptive approach to making sense of what's happened than mm-hmm. just saying, I will never trust anyone again. Right. But do you think people... Well, I think that's what you just said. Like people go through that after such a traumatic thing, like it's kind of a natural reaction. It's to, a natural fallback to a safe place. Yeah. There's no, there's like, there's no criticism or judgment from doing that. I would do that. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like who wouldn't want to say, okay, I have to protect my core. Like this hurts so bad. Right. Okay. Right? Yeah. So that's definitely one thing you want to consider is, is working with a counselor to come back to those assumptions and perceptions about yourself and about the world around you and your most important relationships. Right. Okay. Now the chap I mentioned, I think it's a chap at the start Dennis Ortman, he also had identified three ways to move forward. And I like these. So let's just go over them for Linda. Okay. The first step is to establish a sense of safety. So if you've experienced trauma or betrayal, you probably feel unsafe internally and externally, meaning internally you feel these difficult emotions, right? And you can't prevent your heart from being ripped out again. That feels unsafe. Mm-hmm. Externally, you can't control or predict anything that will happen to you. You can't stop the next affair. Mm-hmm. That feels very unsafe. Mm-hmm. What are you unhuying uh, me for? Well, I thought this was a way we could overcome it. I'm getting all that. you're telling me is everything is so unsafe. Yeah, no, I'm I'm getting that. I'm just well. That's why I'm uh huh. Oh, like, yeah, you want me to keep I'm just going? Waiting for okay, the... I'll keep going. Are okay. you ready? Yep. Okay. So in this process, then Ortman points out that the initial shock and emotional upheaval need to be calmed by courageously facing the pain and reflecting with the support of loved ones. So okay. thinking back about. And this is a very trying stage of recovery. So because you're revisiting the pain, but you're doing so with courage, right? Okay. And when you're in this initial phase of trying to establish a sense of safety mm-hmm. and making, which is about clarifying what you can trust, what you do know, what is safe, what is predictable, right? Okay. When you're here, you also need to avoid making important decisions about the relationship. Yeah. Because you'll understand that in this moment, like, if, when you feel so unsafe, you don't want to be in that relationship. That seems like the safest option. Yeah. But your perception of safety will shift over time as you heal. And mm-hmm. the decision you make in the extreme moment of feeling unsafe mm-hmm. may be one that you regret later when you realize, okay, I am safe now. It's okay. Hmm. Do you know what? Total change of topic. But I heard this, the same thing, like when a spouse dies. Yeah they recommend not to do anything for like a year. Don't make any major decision for a year about moving Uh, or... Like big decisions. Big decisions. Because same thing, you're in that emotional... It's more of a reaction to this huge event. To the emotions, yeah. you're kind of a a fair evaluation of your long-term needs. Yeah. Yeah. 
Absolutely. Sorry. So again, when you're in this, just take time to grieve for as long as is necessary. And you'll want to be sure to, to reach out and get as much support as you, as you need from your support network too, when you're going through this initial period. But having said that, and having asked you not to make a decision about the relationship, once things have stabilized and that sense of safety has returned, you will actually have to make a decision about the relationship. Yeah. So you do come back to this. Now, don't freak out on me here if you're listening, because even if you're committed, I think you still need to make the choice to stay married. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. You need to make a choice for the relationship. A choice. Exactly. And you can't honestly make a choice for the relationship unless you believe that leaving is an option. Do you think? Mm, okay. Do you see where I'm okay, going, right? Yeah. And again, like our, our values for Linda are to help as many marriages as possible. We want marriages to stay intact, but you have to give this dilemma an honest consideration and you should take as much time as you need to do so. Mm-hmm. And I think as you consider this, that it's important to determine whether the infidelity was an isolated incident or whether it was a well-established behavior pattern. And I'm quoting again from Ortman oh, here. And this will make a difference as to your decision. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's a few factors he gives. Another one is, whether the unfaithful partner is willing to seek help and change. Mm-hmm. And then he also says, obviously such a decision takes time and patience. It also requires courage because there is no way to predict the outcome of the decision. What do you mean by that? What I mean by that is you may make the decision to stay, but just because you made the decision to stay does not provide a guarantee that your spouse will not cheat again. Mm, okay. So there's two parts that Orman is saying we need to consider. One, do we have a pattern? Two, is your spouse willing to seek help and change? So you're evaluating that to help you do this, but you still have to have courage to make this decision. This is tough, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because there are no guarantees. If you don't have either of those things, like, or let me say, if you do have a pattern and your spouse is not looking for help and not looking to change, that's a very, very challenging place to be in. Yeah. And I would say, don't forget to allow God to lead in your decision and just be mindful as you pray about it, that he is a good God. He is trustworthy. He works redemptively and he works for your good. So trust him and cry out to him in this. And I'm reminded of the words of 1 Corinthians 10 and 13, that God is faithful. He will not let you to be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Yeah. So you just take that scripture to your context as the betrayed spouse and apply it with wisdom and prayer. So you really want to ask God to kind of lead you through that decision to do his will. And then regardless of whether you choose to stay or leave, there's the third step of healing through forgiveness. And I say regardless of whether you choose to leave, because the forgiveness part should happen for your own benefit. Okay. Regardless of whether you chose to stay or leave. Yeah. And this is probably the lengthiest phase, both in my observation and according to also what Orman says about this. It involves taking the difficult, painful memories of the trauma and finding healing so that the hard emotions are replaced with softer emotions. So instead of rage and instead of bitterness and hatred, you're able to stay with the sadness, the loss, and the grief. And those are still negative emotions, but they're softer. Okay. And what we hope to see is that peace and joy come in instead of revenge. Hmm. And this releases you from the need to require justice. It allows you to move forward with life in a way that's constructive and positive and looks to the future rather than ruminating on the past. Mm-hmm. And this is why forgiveness is so important. I often see anger immediately following the betrayal, which is very understandable. Yeah. I would respectfully suggest and delicately suggest that most of the anger is self-righteous. It's coming from an I would never do that perspective. Hmm. Is that too big of a pill to swallow? And I'm not saying it's wrong to be angry. I'm just saying there are kinds of anger, and I often yeah. see this kind. But don't you think that they could have anger from just the immense hurt inside? Yes, absolutely. And I'm not, I have nothing critical to say about that. So I, I'm nuancing the kinds of anger, okay? Okay. Not buying it? I can see how, like, I would never do that. Yeah. But then 
if you say that, where does the revenge come in of how um, dare they? When I see people going towards revenge, it's because they want their spouse to know how badly it hurt so that they never right. do it to them again. Right. Okay. Which again, well, in the extreme emotions of that context, it makes sense. Yeah. Not okay, that I'm I'll recommending, that. not that I'm recommending revenge, by the way. I would just say that, that some of the anger okay. is self-righteous. Okay. Yes. Rather than most of it. Okay. That sounds like a very self-righteous moment. <laughs> I don't know. And okay. I, I mean, our listeners can just kind of watch internally for this. Like, I mean, they have the right to be angry. There's a difference between saying, I would never do something like this yeah. and saying in anger, how could you do this to me? Okay. I think the second one's a valid question. Yeah. Yeah. I think the first one is lifting yourself above a sin that biblically the Bible would say that you're capable of. Right. And I think that's where you were got to where you were talking previously, like just a few okay. minutes ago about yeah. when you need to make a decision. I don't know. I'm so not I coming back. It. No, it's okay. not coming back at all. Sorry. Okay. No worries. We'll pass on that one. Okay. So if you stay in the angry place, so it's going to keep you from growing and developing into a wiser, stronger, more resilient version of yourself. The anger will. Yes. Do you, do you okay. remember, Verlinda, and let's not mention his name here. Okay. Because he's still living. Do you remember the woman hater at one of our, one of my first jobs? Yes. Okay. And he'd been through a bitter betrayal and divorce from what I remember. Oh, and, okay. And so it really, um, I don't know, it was a huge touch on the rest of his life and on his outlook. And it just That's wasn't true. helpful to him. He was a him. totally bitter, yeah. grumpy. He could be very happy and friendly too. He could, but but it still had a major impact, right? Yeah, yeah. And you just wonder if if he lost experiences and possibilities in life because he chose to continue with the anger. Hmm. So these are three steps that you can take to move forward. If possible, you would find it helpful to proceed through these with a marriage counselor. I would recommend that. So the first one was to establish a sense of safety and then make a decision to stay in the relationship and then find healing through forgiveness. Mm-hmm. Now we're recording today from Florida. We've got rain. We've got yeah. people driving around us. We have birds tweeting. So we hope you enjoyed and appreciated the content here. And we uh, cannot apologize for the background noise because we have no control over it. Let's wrap this up, baby. All right. So we want to thank those of you who became patrons prior to this recording. And that is Mike and Helen. We also want to thank all of you who continue to support the show on a monthly basis. We sincerely appreciate each and every one of you who continue to make it possible for us to produce this marriage podcast for smart people. And we got some reviews too. We do. Can I read them again? Yeah. So I don't have a clue if this is this week, but previous to this recording, we have excellent content with cute accents. I just want to note that this person is from Boston. So (laughs) that's too funny. Yeah. From Robin, who says, I'm a school counselor and absolutely love, love, maybe all things psychology. This is an excellent podcast. Caleb and Verlinda are such a fun team and they both bring insight and humor to all of the topics covered. I love the resources that go along with the podcast so that my husband and I can have concrete strategies to work on. I also have a soft spot for Canadian accents as much of my family is from Nova Scotia. Keep up the great work. That's good. Good. You have some good blood in your background there. (laughs) That's funny. And another so helpful and funny by Adventinas who says, I love this podcast. My husband and I both listen to it and it is so helpful in our marriage. We recently got married after a year and a half of long distance dating. I heard from many people that the first year of marriage is so difficult, but quite honestly, listening to this podcast makes our marriage so much better. I love how it's not bland and you two are always laughing at something. Thank you. That's too funny. That is very kind. That is. So next week, Vernon, we're talking about the love languages and why you might be doing them all wrong. So this is about what may be the most popular marriage book ever written by Gary Chapman, The Five Love Languages. And we're going to take it on. I'm sure it's helped many marriages, but we've been running into couples where it's raised a barrier between them. That is true, yes. So we looked into the research and it turns out that the next 
episode is going to be a little bit of an expose mm. on how well these love languages work. Cool. Well, that's all for today's episode. You can get the full show notes at oyf.link slash 126. Find out how you can become a part of our mission. Go to oyf.support. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. The Marriage Podcast for Smart People is totally funded by listeners who support Caleb and Valinda in their mission to save marriages. If you would like to be part of this worthy cause, open your web browser to oyf.support. A minimum investment of $10 per month will help restore hope to married couples. Plus, as a patron, you'll gain access to exclusive bonus content and valuable information to help you succeed in your own marriage. Go to the website oyf.support now for more information. Thanks for listening to the Marriage Podcast for Smart People from Only You Forever. Thanks, and we'll see you next week. Actually, we won't. We won't? Oh, when does this one get published? Oh, no, we took a week off and then it's this episode. Oh, see you next week. Yeah, we'll probably see you next week. God, God willing. <laughs>